the liturgy brings the shape of the heavenly council to imprint on the human conscience. Hey, YouTube theologians, Pastor Wolfmuller here. That's a thesis, and it was what I argued this last week at our worship conference, and I want to put it here uh, for you all as well. I think this is a very helpful thing for us to think about. Uh, we got to dig into some biblical theology, though, uh, to, to get there. So first, the heavenly council, second, the conscience, and then third, the liturgy, the heavenly council. We get glimpses of the throne room of heaven throughout the scriptures, and they're beautiful and marvelous. Um, it's one of the marks of the prophets. Remember Jeremiah 23, the false prophets never stood in the heavenly council. The true prophets have stood in the heavenly council, and their work is to make known the happenings of the heavenly council to us on earth, so that there's a throne room in heaven. Uh, every time we see the throne or the gathering in heaven or um, the, the the events of heaven, Isaiah 6, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, the Revelation, little glimpses in the prophets, uh, we 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 see what's happening there, uh, and we want to think of an I think an ancient throne room. One of the problems we have now is that we have divided government, so we have executive and judicial and legislative branch. So the laws are made and then executed and adjudicated in three different places, but all of those are held together in the throne room. In fact, we can identify five more, but at least five things that are happening in the heavenly throne room. There's conversation between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's some of the best stuff in the Bible when we hear the Father speaking to the Son. You're my Son today, I've begotten you. Sit here at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. I've exalted you with the oil of gladness above, above all your companions. And then we hear the Son speaking to the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? A beautiful text. So there's conversation. Uh, there's court. And we remember the ancient kings were also judges. Solomon, for example, judging between the two women. So the king is a, is a judge. And the, perhaps the most stark picture of the heavenly throne room as a court is in Job, when the angel, the, uh, Satan, the accuser, is there accusing Job before the throne of God. And so the picture and this title of the devil, Satan, means accuser. It's picked up frighteningly, but comfortingly. We'll come back to it in Revelation 12, where the devil is the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night. And so heaven is a court where our case is being heard. And here's where all of the beautiful stuff of, uh, of Revelation 12, of Hebrews 4, 5, 7, where the Lord Jesus ascends into the courtroom with the evidence of his blood, and he presents his blood as evidence for our innocence. And that blood is received, and the verdict is spoken, that we are innocent and holy. That's the really the first part of our doctrine of justification, that, that uh, we're acquitted. So we have an advocate, John uh, 3 says, we, 1 John 3 says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we don't just have an accuser in that heavenly court. We have an advocate, Jesus. Uh, there's also petitions being heard. So prayers rise before the throne of God. The picture in the throne room is incense. There's also worship that's happening in the throne room. And there's 
ascending that happens too. So the Lord sends people out of the throne room to go and do his will on earth, angels, prophets, and so forth. So, so that's all the activity of the heavenly court. Uh, yeah, okay, so, that, so that's the first part. The second thing is to recognize that our heart, our conscience, is also like a little courtroom where judgments are being made. And the conscience is designed by God to make the judgments about our own activities. Oftentimes, we're also making judgments about other people, what they do to us or what they do to each other, or if things are right or wrong in the world, and so forth and so on. So the conscience is a little judgment seat, and it can go wrong in so many different ways. Like instead of standing before the judge of my own conscience, I say, no, I'm going to be the judge, and I'm going to go around and accuse everybody else. Or... And here's how we're designed. I mean, after the fall, this is how our the, sort of the re- native religion of our humanity is, is that we're there trying to make the case for our own goodness in the courtroom of our conscience. I think goodness, especially meaning, that we're trying to make the case that we're worthwhile, I think that's the obsession that we have nowadays. So so we're always, we're living in such a way, and when you meet people, you can sort of see the shape of their conscience, is that they're always trying to, they're always trying to make the case that they're worth it, or that they're good, or they're always trying to judge everything around them. So you can get a real good sense of what's going on in the conscience. Now, there's a lot of ways for that courtroom to go wrong. For example, you could replace the legal standard of the Ten Commandments with a different standard. That's a, I think that's the big move of environmentalism. Is it says instead of the instead of righteousness being determined by the Ten Commandments in the heart, righteousness is going to be determined by carbon footprint. It, it's a it's a different morality that way, and every different morality is going to replace God's law with some sort of other man's law uh, in the in the courtroom of the conscience. Okay. So so you got the two realities. You have the heavenly reality, the heavenly court, and we have the courtroom of our own conscience. And and here's the thesis that the liturgy, the divine service, the Christian worship, is to mediate, or maybe better, it's to imprint the shape of the heavenly council the shape of the heavenly courtroom, on your own conscience. Now, I'll give you two biblical examples. The first is the Old Testament worship. Remember when God called Moses up on Mount Sinai in the pillar of cloud and fire, and he gives him instructions for worship, for the tabernacle, for the Ark of the Covenant, for the priesthood, for the sacrifices, for the feast days. And he says to Moses, make a copy of what you see. So that Hebrews calls the liturgy of the Old Testament a shadow of the heavenly reality. There's a tabernacle made with hands. That's the earthly tabernacle. And that's a reflection of the tabernacle not made with hands. There's a holy of holies on earth. And that's a reflection of the throne room of God in heaven. There's a mercy seat, an ark on earth, and that's a shadow of the heavenly throne. And the m- most profound shadow, th- the thing that Moses sees that he makes a copy of, is the Day of Atonement, where the high priest sacrifices the bull and carries the blood at, to the throne. 
This is a picture of the ascension of Jesus, his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, where he carries his blood into the Holy of Holies, and it's for the forgiveness of sins. Beautiful, okay? So Old Testament worship distinctly has that characteristic of making known what's happening in the heavenly throne room to the people on earth. The The other great connection is in the word paraclete. The, it's, it's a Greek word. It means the one who stands and argues our case. The best translation is advocate. We have it in 1 John 3. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. But now Jesus says, I will send from the throne the Holy Spirit who will be an advocate in your own heart. So the Holy Spirit comes as the paraclete, sometimes translated helper or comforter, but advocate is what it is, so that the thing that Jesus speaks in heaven is made known to us on earth so that we would we would understand what's happening right now in heaven and that that would be made manifest now i'd like to you to take it a moment sometime in the next few days and read revelation 12 i think this is what holds it all together revelation 12 gives us this it's right in the center of revelation it's a central vision there And Revelation 12 gives us the picture of the woman who's pregnant, expecting the child, and there's a dragon ready to devour the child as soon as it's born. But the dragon fails, the child is born, the child is caught up to heaven, and now war breaks out in heaven. Michael and his angels fight against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon doesn't prevail, but he's removed from heaven, and he comes down to earth, and he's chasing after the woman in the wilderness where a place is provided for her. This is a picture of what happens... uh, when Jesus ascends into heaven and the devil is removed from the heavenly court, he no longer can accuse. There's nothing to accuse. Everything is forgiven. I mean, the devil doesn't have to lie when he accuses us. He says, look, here's Brian's sin. And Jesus says, here's my suffering for that sin. And that sin is forgiven. God be praised. So that the verdict is spoken in heaven of our own innocence. But now the devil comes down to us to, to tempt us to try to wreak havoc in the courtroom of our own hearts, to try to bring that accusation of our own sin against us, or the lie of our own righteousness to lift us up in pride so that guilt would push us to despair, uh, good works would push us to pride. This is the devil's work in the courtroom of our own conscience. But it says in the Revelation 12 text that they, that is the saints on earth, overcame him, the devil, by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. And that, dear saints, is a picture of our Christian worship, the word and the blood. If if someone asks you, why are you going to church on Sunday? Say, I'm going for the word and the blood. That's the devil overcoming stuff. And that's the shape of our liturgy. So that we go to the divine service as we're going to court. And the very first thing we do, now this is a modern part of the liturgy, but it's actually very helpful. The, The first thing that we do is we make a plea. Are we innocent or guilty? And we we all gather to church and we say, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner, a poor, miserable sinner. I plead guilty before God of all sins. What I've done, what I've left undone, that I've deserved his temporal and eternal punishment. So we come into the courtroom of God, confessing our guilt, praying for mercy, and we hear the heavenly verdict. All your sins are forgiven. 
And all those things that happen in the heavenly court, the conversation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the courtroom and the forgiveness of sins, the hearing of petitions, the offering of praise, and the sending forth. In fact, th- this is all what is happening in our service. We hear the conversation of God in the scriptures. We confess it in the creed. We hear it expounded in the sermon. We sing his praises. We offer him petitions. And then, and here's the, the kicker, the same blood that Jesus carries to heaven to testify of his death and resurrection on our behalf, the Lord Jesus provides that same blood on the altar every Sunday so that we are, we are partakers of the evidence in the heavenly court. We eat the evidence of the heavenly court. And the same thing now happens to us. It's, 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 it's consumed, it's brought into us so that the, the same declaration of the forgiveness of sins is now given to us sinners. Take and drink. This is the blood of the New Testament poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. So that the, the verdict spoken in heaven is now spoken on earth and that echoes in our own conscience. You see? Now, a lot of people are trying to reshape the liturgy. We need more praise and worship, or we need more whatever. We need more whatever. But the main activity of the liturgy is the main activity in heaven and the main activity of our conscience, which is a, a judicial case. The worship is there. The petitions are there. Everything else is there. But that judicial case, because we are guilty before God. I was just reading uh, this morning Solomon's uh, dedication of the temple and how many times he prays that the Lord from that temple would hear and forgive sins. That's the main thing. So that our conscience would be comforted with that promise, with that declaration, with that judicial decision that the death of Jesus is sufficient, more than sufficient, to win our innocence. It's just beautiful. So that when we go to church, we we drag all our guilt and shame into that place, and we stand before the Lord as sinners, and he says to us, your sins are forgiven. I'm not mad at you. So wonderful. So wonderful. So let's give thanks to God that the the liturgy is, is mediating that heavenly court into our conscience. That the liturgy is imprinting the reality of the heavenly court into our own conscience. So that the same word that's spoken in heaven, the righteousness of Christ for sinners, is now heard and believed here below. Well, may God grant it for Christ's sake. Amen. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Thank you, YouTube theologians. If you enjoyed this, you will enjoy this video as well. Uh, here, click on that guy, uh, and it'll spin you off into a uh, into the wormhole of YouTube theology. Hope it's well. Or if you're listening on the podcast, uh, there's always more to come and more from before. Thanks. God's peace.